for your future presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. What's up, listeners? This is the Force 5 Podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we reveal our picks on air. I am your host, ex-video store clerk, undiscovered screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg. I have had so many amazing memories connected to America's pastime. My first complete game shutout in Little League, playing for the Cubs, hitting 420 and making the all-star traveling team while playing for the Dodgers, constantly pitching against the pitchback, the garage, whatever would make the ball come back to me. From fifth grade until movies took over, baseball was my life. I played up through high school. I had dreams of becoming a major leaguer. When I wasn't pitching, I was playing center field. I loved it. There's just something about the smell of the grass, the sounds of the game, and the chess-like strategy to every aspect of baseball. And the natural pauses within a baseball game makes it the perfect on-screen sport because you can have those dialogue-driven moments in the dugout that become really hard to do with a game like soccer or basketball. Some of the best sports films of all time are baseball movies, and Wayne G. from Recasted and I are going to bring you some amazing baseball films that you can watch because it's October, baby, and the road to the World Series is heating up. Speaking of heating up, we had some fans pretty hot with some of the picks we missed from the last show. David Rosen and I came up with our list for top five movie dogs, and well, let's just say we left a couple off. Not in the top five. Did they get it right? Excuse my language. Okay. Hell no. (laughs) I can't believe. Who who made that list? Who made that? That's blasphemous. Don't look at me. That's blasphemous. At Nick Experiment said Benji. The New World Pictures podcast, Hambone and Hilly. Good Times Great Movies said Skippy. Thor Ath. (laughs) I always... I can't, I can't help but laugh when I see Thor on the timeline, said Lassie. Listener Joe Bridges said uh, Pepe from Manos, The Hands of Fate. Michael Robinson said Hooch from Turner and Hooch. How did I forget that? Chris O'Neill said Humphrey Bogart's Dog Zero in High Sierra. Matt Stillman said Uggy from The Artist. Tom's Movie Chat said Paul Walker's Huskies. A1 Pine Joe said, I think an honorable mention should go to Verdell from As Good As It Gets. Minoc33 said K9 and I Am Legend. Drone Didion said the best film about a dog is White Dog. I think it's the only true quality film with a dog as a main character, at least if we're talking about films for adults. I disagree with that. Baxter was on my list and I think that fits right into that qualification. R. Swanee said shout out to the Hungarian movie White God from 2014, probably the most incredible film involving dogs. And then finally, Z-T-R-E, I I don't even know how to say that. I think it's Richard Hertz backwards. There we go. Richard Hertz. In the movie Beethoven, my little ones used to call the St. Bernard Big Toven. Thank you for telling us what we missed. If you want to get in on the action, at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast on Instagram. I always post a call for what we missed, so let us know. 
So one of the perks of signing up for the Force 5 Patreon is that at some point you're going to be tapped on the shoulder to assign me a film to watch and review on this program. Any film you want, as long as it's under three hours, for any reason you want, I'll watch it and I'll give my honest assessment. Now, the Patreon hadn't actually opened up until today, but a few loyal listeners found the soft open link on the Force 5 website and signed up. Friend of the show, Sean, was the first to sign up, so of course he gets top billing. I sent him a note and I told him, hey, no rush. The Patreon's not even open yet, but without hesitation, in all caps, he sent back Rocky. A little background here. I've known Sean for 20 years now, and for 20 years, he's tried to get me to watch Rocky. I've never seen it. I'm not sure I've ever seen any Rocky film all the way through. And part of the reason I've resisted is because it's been such a part of the cultural zeitgeist that even if you haven't seen the movies, you feel like you have. I I felt I know the beats. I had seen the montage. I had heard, yo, Adrian, spoiler alert for a film that won Best Picture in 1976, but I knew Rocky lost and went the distance. I know he wins in the sequel. I know he fights Hulk Hogan and Mr. T in part three, Thunderlips. I know he fights Dolph Lundgren in four and five. At some point, it just became kind of a running joke between us that I would never watch Rocky. But now, Sean found a loophole a contractual obligation of sorts that I, in good conscience, would not, could not get out of. So I went to Amoeba, I spent five bucks on a used Blu-ray, and I watched Rocky. Guys, tell me he gets laid off, right? He can't make Yeah, well, don't money figure. Let me do the figure, okay, Rock? From here, just let me do the figure. Come on! Want to hit on me? Come on! I'll break both your arms so they don't work for you. Sylvester Stallone, who also wrote the film, of course, plays Rocky Balboa, a 30 something leg breaker for the local mob who boxes on the side as a hobby. We open on a boxing match, and I was a little surprised at how little skill Rocky appeared to have in the ring. He stood there getting pummeled like boxcar Homer until he gets headbutted and rages out for the win, collecting his paltry sum of around 40 bucks. He lives in a shithole apartment, one that's probably never had a woman in it, and definitely hasn't had cleaning supplies in it. I have to give the set decorator props for their depiction of his home, because it was equal parts intriguing and sickening. Random knives and machetes are just stuck in various walls that double as a coat and hat racks. The couch is littered with empty beer bottles. A lamp sits on an overturned KFC bucket. And there's just piles of trash everywhere. And at first glance, I couldn't help but think, this is the house of a mentally ill person. As we see Rocky go about his day... I actually thought that the character of Rocky might be mentally challenged. In every interaction he has with people and turtles in the first 30 minutes, it feels like he's a little bit behind, as if he's taken too many shots to the head. 
I was even more convinced when he becomes interested in his friend's sister, Adrian, played by Talia Shire, or as I know her, Connie Corleone. She works at the local pet store stocking turtle food, cleaning cat cages, and also appeared to be mentally challenged. Now, as the film goes on, it's apparent that she was just extremely shy, but an early scene in the store in which Rocky walks in and just starts blabbing on about losing his locker at the local gym and then telling a pack of caged birds that his finger is a worm while she just stands there with a blank stare saying nothing kind of had me fooled. Other supporting characters include the bitter old gym owner Mickey, Rocky's asshole friend Polly, and of course, Carl Weathers, as Apollo Creed. Rocky is the ultimate underdog story. In celebration of the bicentennial, the heavyweight champ is set to fight in a high-profile, nationally televised match. Unfortunately, the opponent breaks his hand and no other contenders are available, so Creed comes up with an idea. Pick a random white Philly fighter for the match in hopes that it will drum up publicity as the ultimate American dream. A rags-to-riches story for the public so that Creed doesn't have to waste months of training for the fight. Rocky's name is picked from a catalog, Apollo Creed versus the Italian Stallion. Kind of sounds like a monster movie, Creed says. There's no real villain in the story. Rocky's main antagonist is really himself, his self-doubt, his belief that he's not good enough. In one of the film's more touching moments, he says this out loud the night before the fight, expressing that he knows he's not good enough to beat Creed, but just wants to go the distance to prove he's not a bum which is apparently the worst thing you could be in late 1970s Philadelphia. About an hour into this movie, I could not see what was so special about Rocky. I was surprised at how little boxing was in the film, and I really didn't like any of the characters. But at some point, and to be honest, I don't even know when it happened, the sweet simpleton from the neighborhood kind of won me over. When the now famous training montage hit and Rocky raises his hands above his head on the steps of the art museum, I was kind of in. I was rooting for Rocky. The climactic fight plays out as two separate lessons. It's both an underdog story about a man taking his one in a million shot and giving it his goddamn best, and a cautionary tale about not underestimating your opponent. The entrances of the two men were perfect examples of this juxtaposition. Rocky, donned in his simple robe with his friend's meat company logo on the back, is all about business. He's taken in a crowd size he's never seen before, nervous about not embarrassing himself. To go out and be knocked out in the third round as Creed is proclaiming he'll do would be detrimental for his pride, for his neighborhood. On the other hand, Apollo Creed comes down the ramp in a makeshift boat, donned first in George Washington garb and then in an Uncle Sam getup in the ring, which was a really funny moment and also told us all we needed to know about Apollo Creed. Clearly, he had underestimated his opponent. He wasn't there for a fight. He was there for a show. He spent more time leading up to the fight on theatrics, on image, on pageantry. As his ringman says to him after the first round, he doesn't know it's a show. He thinks it's a fight. Carl Weathers was so great here that it's no surprise he would end up being an acting coach for the amazing Tobias Funke. Although I was invested in Rocky's in-ring journey, I wasn't so much attached to his love story. I found it pretty creepy how he coaxed Adrian into his nasty apartment after their first date and then cornered her when she tried to leave, telling her he was going to kiss her, but she didn't have to kiss him back if she didn't want to. Their relationship never really felt like there was any chemistry, but maybe that was what drew them together. He was dumb, and she was shy, as Rocky puts it. And I did get a chuckle when he went on live TV and said hi to her, saying, Yo, Adrian, it's me, Rocky, as if she wouldn't know who he was. Um, ag again. 
has this man taken too many punches to the head? I can't go a whole review without mentioning the amazing music in this film. Bill Conti's score was fantastic from the iconic Rocky theme song to Going the Distance, which played during the final fight. It just really set the tone in an incredible way. I don't think I had ever heard Going the Distance and instantly recognized it as the sample used in Puff Daddy's song Victory. Rocky was made for just over $1.1 million and ended up being the highest grossing film of 1976. At the Oscars, it was nominated for 10 awards, winning Best Director, Best Editing, and Best Picture, beating out films like All the President's Men, Network, and Taxi Driver. It's easy to see why audiences were drawn to Rocky. It's the ultimate underdog American dream story, and it's got an air of authenticity. The city it's set in feels authentic. The characters, right down to Joe Spinell as the mob boss, feel authentic. But even more so, the character of Rocky felt authentic, and that's probably because of the road Sylvester Stallone had to travel to play this part. He wrote the film, but wouldn't sell the screenplay unless he was attached to play Rocky, which the studio didn't want to do. They wanted somebody established in the role and tossed out names like Robert Redford, Ryan O'Neill, Burt Reynolds, Nick Nolte, and Stallone refused to budge. The film's planned budget was chopped in half when he was finally hired to play the role, but he just knew he had something, and he was right. Stallone was Rocky, and as he stood on the stage in 1977 receiving his Oscar, he showed Hollywood that he was not just another bum from the neighborhood. Sadly, the Blu-ray copy I snagged had absolutely no special features, an odd choice by MGM considering the 2006 DVD release had three commentaries and tons of special features spread out over two discs, including a three-part making-of documentary. The picture quality on the Blu-ray was a little dull, the colors rarely popped, darks would often obscure detail, and overall it just felt a little hazy. The disc also featured a 5.1 mix and the original mono track. I watched with the 5.1 mix, and it definitely felt like the sound was a little muffled in parts. There were a few moments where I had to skip backwards to really listen to what people were saying, but to be fair, that could have also been Stallone's dialect. Rocky 1 through 4 are due on 4K in February of 2023, so if you're a fan, the new remasters will no doubt blow the current discs out of the water, at least in terms of picture and sound, but I really hope they include the old special features. Before we get to today's sponsor, I've got some other stuff I want to talk about real quick. I was on two podcasts recently, and I really think you should check them both out after you're done listening here. I was on the podcast Every Rom-Com to talk about my favorite romantic comedy of all time, About Time. So please check that out. Jen does really great work over there. And I was also recently in the Tournament of Champions over on Billy Ray Bruton's Incinerator podcast, where I teamed up with Kenny Nybart to go up against two folks who are going to be guests on this show very soon. So go check out both of those shows. In other exciting news, the Force 5 Patreon is now open for business. Right now, you're going to find a couple of things on there for your listening pleasure. I've got a solo episode featuring five movies you never knew were turned into TV shows. I've got reviews of Vinegar Syndrome's The Mob and Hobgoblins, and the first episode of Force 5 Live featuring Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky from Find Your Film is up. It's a draft-style game that I think we all had a lot of fun with. There's a link in the show notes, or just head to patreon.com backslash force5 for the chance to listen to extra features and even be an executive producer on the show. Through October... Anybody who signs up for any tier on the Patreon feed is going to get a listing season Halloween Force 5 sticker mailed out to them for free. So sign up, support me, and support your local Halloween businesses. As we know, Halloween is fast approaching, and if you don't have your costume already, you're late. 
Luckily, today's sponsor has everything you need to get trick-or-treating right away, and that is Silver Shamrock Novelties. They've got all the spooky garb your heart desires, from full costumes to yard decorations, but their real bread and butter are their masks. Whether you're looking for a pumpkin, a skull, or a witch, Silver Shamrock has got you covered. And all of their masks are super safe. Trust me. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Welcome back to the Force Five Podcast. I'm joined tonight by Wayne G, one half of the Recasted Podcast, a show that takes movies from at least 20 years prior and recast them with current actors. Wayne, how are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm really excited to talk about the topic tonight. I'm excited to have you on. I think you're probably the furthest person from me from the United States I've had on the show, because I'm very far Bay Area, and you're way out there in New Hampshire. I think like mileage in terms of US, we're about as far as you can get from each other. Yeah, I think maybe... Bangor, Maine, or like Limestone, Maine, but uh, otherwise we're right <laughs> below Maine. So, <laughs> if there's any listeners from Maine who want to be on this show and break this record, feel free to to, to reach out. Um, I'll start out by saying, uh, Wayne, that your show Recasted has a great concept, and one of the reasons I like this show's format is because I want listeners to really think about what they would put on their top five lists, and your show certainly does the same thing. Before I steal all of your thunder, why don't you tell us more about Recasted? And what people can look forward to when they tune in after listening to this to listen to your show. Absolutely. So with Recasted, what it is, as you mentioned in the intro, is we take movies that are at least 20 years old and we recast them with modern day actors and actresses with the rule that you can't use anybody from the original cast, not even in a different role. And then Jesse and I, my co-host, we put our casts out on social media and say, vote for which cast you like better or which remake you like better. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So if you like the idea of recasting or you think somebody would be better in a particular role or you're sick of remakes, I guess if you're <laughs> sick of remakes, you probably wouldn't listen. But it, it absolutely does make you think about who you would cast for those roles. You, you recently covered one of my favorite movies of all time, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So, of course, I was going through my head like, geez, who would I cast for these? And for me, something like Spicoli was a really easy role to choose. But for somebody like Jefferson, it's like, geez, who am I going to go with here? And I think you guys really nailed it. So um, you also do movie reviews on the channel. You do like what you've been watching, all that stuff, too. And there's a lot of great fan interaction and interaction between you and users on Twitter. So I uh, highly recommend the podcast. Once you're done listening to Wayne and I talk baseball movies here, go check out Recasted. Now, normally at this point, I'd ask people what their favorite movies are. But if you're curious about Wayne's 25 favorite movies, there's a whole bonus show about it on that feed. So go listen to that, too. Instead, I, I guess I'll ask Wayne, what are some movies that you've seen recently that you've liked? So that's a tough one. I, I watch a lot of television series, so I binge watch a lot of shows. Oh, you could talk about shows, too. Oh, OK, so like I love the show Billions. Uh, that's one of my favorites. I'm a big Paul Giamatti fan. I really enjoy the show The Walking Dead. I got hooked into that. And I don't like horror. Like I was really late to that party because I don't like horror. Mm -hmm. And when I started watching it, I was like, oh, this isn't really horror. It's more of like a survival show. Right. And so I really enjoyed that. We're waiting on the last part of the final season to come up. I'm hoping Rick comes back. 
And then other than that, it's just kind of whatever my daughter's watching. Like she'll put on a movie. I watched a movie recently called, I think it was called The Prom, which had uh, James Corden. And it was about a girl in a small town who wanted to have an all inclusive prom, you know, so that, you know, gay and straight kids could go to the prom with their dates and it wouldn't be a big issue. And it's kind of a musical. And I, I'm also a sucker for musicals. If you listen to our podcast, you know, I'm a huge Hamilton fan. So, um, I definitely love musicals. and It was a really, really heartfelt movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Today we're doing baseball movies, which, I mean, it's America's pastime. What's your relationship with baseball? Like, did you play when you were younger? What teams do you like? What teams do you follow? I did play when I was younger. I started playing when I was about eight years old and kind of played through Little League, got to middle school and played, played Babe Ruth. And then I went to high school. I played varsity baseball for four years and Actually, my sophomore year, I was All-State Honorable Mention for second base. Nice. And I was really convinced I was going to play professional baseball. In fact, after my senior year, I had a tryout with the Atlanta Braves. Oh. And it did not go well. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I did get picked. And uh, it was really eye-opening, though, as to the level of talent needed. Because I was there with a bunch of other like high school prospects. And I mean, like you think you're good in your small pond, but then they put you in the ocean and you realize, wow, like I have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so obviously just because I love the sport, I love any sort of baseball movie. Uh, growing up, obviously I watched major league. If you guys listen to the top 25 episode, that's my number one movie of all time. That's my favorite movie. Uh, movies like, you know, just anything baseball related. There's, and there's baseball movies I crap on too. Like I did not like rookie of the year. You will not hear me talk about that today. You got a favorite team out there? I mean, New Hampshire doesn't have a baseball team. Are you a Sox fan? I'm not really. So I've kind of gotten away from baseball as I've gotten older. So like those first couple years after high school, I really pursued it. And then I just stopped. And I've become more of a football fan. Obviously, diehard Patriots fan out here on the East Coast. Yeah. And uh, baseball, I just kind of, I'll turn it on if I want something in the background. But I'm not really into it, into it. I do think that we need to get automated strike zones instead of having the umpires call balls and strikes you know uh it's weird because i've also kind of gotten away from being as hardcore a baseball fan as i've gotten older what do you think what do you think that is well it's the opposite of what you would expect right because sure. baseball's fan base is old you know they're having a hard time bringing in the younger crowd uh-huh. and i think just what's happened is football has taken over america i mean people would rather watch football it's fun it's hard hitting you just enjoy the players. I think baseball is so slow, you know, and obviously we've grown up in a world that's technology and everything's fast. Everything's at the tip of your finger, you know, and, and now we're watching a, a, a sport where there's two and a half, three minutes in between pitches, you know, and I think we just, we grew impatient for it. I have a bit of a different relationship with baseball in that I'm a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. I've been a Pittsburgh Pirates fan my whole life and uh, they've been terrible. For the better part of 25 years, there was a short spurt in like 2012 to 2014 where they they had a chance. But other than that, they've been basement dwellers for 20 years. It's happened for so long that I just I'm I'm uninterested in the game anymore. And I've tried to latch onto other teams and it just doesn't work. And I think that's where my disinterest comes from, just liking this terrible team for so long and being like just battered over the head with these seasons that I've just become numb to it. Do you have any uh, favorite players of all time? Oh, of course. So my favorite athlete of all time is Bo Jackson. 
And so obviously two sports. So he's my favorite football player and my favorite baseball player of all time. (laughs) And then when I kind of, when Bo got hurt and I had to kind of choose a new favorite player, I chose Frank Thomas. Uh, They were teammates in Chicago. So I was a big fan of the big hurt. And then as time goes on, you know, Frank retired. I've become a very big Barry Bonds defender. Mm. I think that Barry Bonds is arguably the greatest baseball player to ever live. I think Babe Ruth and ba- Barry Bonds are the top two. You can go 1-1-A. I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But currently, I would say, like most of America, I'm obsessed with Shohei Otani. Like, if he's pitching, I'm watching. If he's hitting, I want to tune in when he's hitting. And that's where I think Major League Baseball has really dropped the ball because they have this generational superstar. And by generational, I mean we haven't seen it for over 100 years. And they're not promoting it. Uh, for those who don't know or don't follow baseball, uh, Otani is one of the very rare players that is a an elite pitcher, but also an elite hitter like Babe Ruth was back in the day. Big Hurt, great choice there. I will tell you, I am uh, a Barry Bonds hater, mostly for the fact that he ditched the Pirates and turned them into the shell of what, what they are now. When he left, basically everybody left in 92. But uh, yeah, not not a big Bonds fan, but I know that there are a ton of them, especially out here in San Francisco, that just love Barry Bonds. So not going to fault you for that. I have seen, I have been to the Baseball Hall of Fame and seen the uh, asterisk ball in the in the case there. It's always amused me quite a bit. All right, so let's get into our list topic today here. We're calling this one Five Home Run Baseball Movies. That's what I'm calling it. We could talk about our movies however we want here. How did you get into your list? Like, are they what you would consider the best baseball movies or just five that you think people should see or your personal favorites? Like, what is your vibe for your five? Yeah, well, when I reached out to you, I know I'd asked you that. I said, should I be picking my five favorites? Should I be picking the five best? Because the five best, I feel like, would exclude Major League, which is my favorite. Yeah. If I pick my five favorite, I'm going to exclude some really good cinematic pieces. And so it was hard to decide. Then I decided, you know what I'm going to do is I'm really going to try to focus on some movies that maybe people aren't as familiar with and kind of talk about why I like those. Maybe they'll go see a movie that they've never seen before, maybe even never heard of before this podcast. All right. Well, I guess we're going to see where we line up on those. Uh, the only ones on my list. So there are a couple that excluded that I excluded from my list. Number one, I did not include movies that have made my list before. So that actually excludes a big one. And I'll get to that in the honorable mentions. Did you include documentaries on yours? I had no documentaries in mine. Okay. I also went no documentaries. That's another one where I feel like you could do a whole top five list on baseball documentaries. And um, I did not include any baseball adjacent films that have to do with baseball, but aren't about the game. So uh, films like Blood Games or Signs where you have a baseball player in there, but it's not about the game. I excluded those. Um, So that's kind of like how I narrowed my stuff down. Wayne G, you ready to get into this list, my friend? I'm excited. Let's do it. You know what's going to happen? You know what's happening here right now? Huh? You know what's going to happen? What? You just made the list! Hidden leadoff here for me at number five. I've got 1976's The Bad News Bears. There is no limit to what some men will do for money. Especially a man like Morris Buttermaker. No, I really appreciate this. It's just a damn shame that none of the fathers had the time for it. God knows if I wasn't so busy down in city. You got my check, White Wood. Even if it meant coaching an unlikely group called the Bad News Bears. 
It was a team of superstars like Mike Engelberg, Rudy Stein, Reggie Tower, Ahmad Abdul Rahim, the incomparable Ogilvy, Timmy Lupus, Kelly Leak, the Aguilar brothers. With a team like this, there is only one way you can go. Cups and supporters. Oh. Gotta be one at all times. Now, Bad News Bears is a baseball movie that could never be made today. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But the, the plot of the Bad News Bears is focused on Morris Buttermaker, played amazingly by Walter Matthau, who's great in everything. But uh, he's especially great here as Morris Buttermaker, this alcoholic pool cleaner and former minor league baseball pitcher who's recruited to coach the Bears, a uh, little league expansion team of misfit players formed as a settlement to a lawsuit brought against the league for excluding these players and teams. Shunned by the more competitive teams and parents and coaches, they are the outsiders and by far the least talented team in the league. It's so bad that Buttermaker forfeits the opening game after the team allows 26 runs without recording it out, forfeits the game. So how do the Bears become competitive? Well, he starts recruiting some of the neighborhood misfit outcast athletes, and uh, that starts giving the team a competitive edge they once lacked. Great cast here. The kids are especially amazing. We have a very young Jackie Earl Haley, who most people would probably recognize as uh, Rorschach from The Watchmen. It's also got uh, Tatum O'Neill in a really fantastic role as a female who joins the team. But the real charm in this film comes from the team's interactions with each other. I got to tell you, if, if you're a listener that's going into this uh, for the first time, you've never seen Bad News Bears and you're watching it for the first time in 2022, it's going to be a little bit shocking. It's filled with racism, sexism, homophobia. Uh, we see Buttermaker spraying the kids with beer after a game. We see him toss a beer in one of the kids' faces. Uh, there's like smoking around the kids. The kids are smoking, like all kinds of stuff. This, this is a kid's movie, but I wouldn't show it to my kids. Um, it's, uh, it's just something that you wouldn't see in today's age, but the script is really great. It's got a lot to say about the culture of competition, especially when it comes to kids' sports. And I 100% recommend if you haven't seen this, watch it. But avoid all the sequels. And make sure that you are watching the 1976 Bad News Bears and not the 2005 remake with Billy Bob Thornton. Because that is an inferior remake that just did not capture the magic of the original. There were two sequels, Breaking Training and Bad News Bears Go to Japan. There was also a short-lived TV series based on the Bad News Bears. But the original really really brings it uh have you seen bad news bears oh of course i have it's a classic one of the things obviously is that buttermaker played by walter Matthau. uh the his claim to fame is that he pitched against ted williams once right so he tells <laughs> that story in the movie um but i think that that became that movie became the foundation for pretty much every sports movie made from there on out bad team gets a good player or two then they gel then they win it seems formulaic when you watch it now, but it's kind of one of the drivers of that formula to begin with. So good point there. My number five, and this is going to be one that strikes close to home for you being out in the Bay Area, is Moneyball. There are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. That's a dollar, man. What? Welcome to Oakland. I need more money. We're not New York. Find players with the money that we do have. 
I like Perez. Got an ugly girlfriend. Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. You guys are talking the same old nonsense. Like we're looking for Fabio. We got to think differently. Who's Fabio? Your goal shouldn't be to buy players. Your goal should be to buy wins. And in order to buy wins, you need to buy runs. Who are you? I'm Peter Brand. First job in baseball? It's my first job anywhere. This movie, obviously, it stars Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, and it follows the story of Billy Bean, who is the general manager of the Oakland Athletics. He's playing in a league with the Yankees and the Red Sox, and they have unlimited budgets. They can spend hundreds of millions of dollars on their payroll. He has a very limited budget. His owner will not give him any more money. So what they end up doing is they bring up their farm system. The guys make the bigs. They play for two or three years, and then they leave for more money with another team. And he has to come up with a way to win even with his limited payroll, and he meets Peter Brand, who I believe is actually supposed to be Steve DiFilippo, but they changed his name to Peter Brand in the film, and that's Jonah Hill. And he's a big analytics guy. So he took from Bill James, who wrote a book about analytics and you know buying runs rather than players. And it's a really, really cool story of just a new technology that, of course, is rejected at first, and now it's adopted by every team in the league. And for me, the shining star here was Jonah Hill, because... Yeah. Coming off of super bad, this is what you thought he was. And the first time I saw him in Moneyball, I said, holy cow, like he can really act. And he's done nothing but crush since then. 100% with you. This is the the first thing that I thought of when you said Moneyball. It's like, oh, yeah, this is this is the movie where I learned that Jonah Hill could act. And just to add on, I mean, this movie has a great cast with Philip Seymour Hoffman in there as Art Howe. Um, Robin Wright is in there as as a uh, was she billy bean's wife his ex-wife ex-wife yeah uh just a fantastic modern day baseball movie you don't see a whole lot of baseball movies now and uh this one came out in 2011 really good chris pratt's in there too as scott hatterberg he is and the gentleman who plays david justice i believe actually was teammates with david justice in real life Oh, really? He looked just like him. He did. He had a very similar look. And I actually really love that scene when he's taking batting practice and he's talking to Billy. And Billy says to him, I'm not paying you $7 million. The Yankees are paying half your salary. That's what they think of you. <laughs> They're paying $3.5 million a year to play against you. Moneyball did not make my list, but highly recommended. That was on my also, my also rans, my honorable mentions. All right, number four for me. Going into the two slot here in the lineup, we've got... I had to go with a darker film in here. We've got The Fan from 1996. Well, here we are with the hopes and dreams of all true Giants fans, ex-brave center fielder and league RBI champ Bobby Rayburn. In the game of life, Come on, bring it, baby. some are chosen for greatness, while others can only watch. Hey, Bobby Rayburn was San Francisco's brightest star. Bobby, a lot of people in this city think you're not earning your keep. But to one fan, he meant so much more. Don't listen to it, Bobby. You're the best. A fan. Watch out for me. I'm the sharpest guy in town. People are scared of you, Gil. Who never stop believing. I know what he's feeling. He hit a bad patch. We all hit bad patches. Go easy on him. You're letting the bat swing him. Hey, Alex, send your head into the outfield. I actually had a Bobby Rayburn jersey at one point. <laughs> oh, sweet. All right. So, yeah, Bobby Rayburn, man. Uh, this is Wesley Snipes' role. Here is Bobby Rayburn, the star hitter, uh, also out here in the Bay Area, just traded to the San Francisco Giants. And 
the obsessive fan named Gil, who becomes more and more unhinged as he starts to have interactions with Bobby Rayburn. This is directed by the late Tony Scott. This is uh, in his stretch of real good movies. I didn't like very many of Tony Scott's later movies, aside from uh, Unstoppable. But I, I really love his 90s work, his early 90s work. Snipes is great in his second baseball role. Of course, Willie Mays Hayes, his first. He's just this player who's upset that he can't keep his number 11. He's worn it all of his life. He finds himself in a slump as he progresses with his new team, the Giants. But the real star here is Robert De Niro as this unhinged knife salesman who's in, in every scene. He feels like this ticking time bomb. If you're looking for some really amazing Robert De Niro outbursts, this movie has them both at the stadium and at his kids' Little League games, where at one point he threatens parents with a baseball bat. He says something like, I'm going to knock your head in the left field. Um, and there's another scene where he's just yelling at Bobby Rayburn from the stands, swearing up a storm, all these kids around. And uh, Wayne Grove from Heat is in the stands, and he's like, shut up, man, sit down. This movie also has great supporting performances from Benicio Del Toro and John Leguizamo. And if you're a baseball fan, you get to see John Crook get stabbed in this movie. Um, it's also got a great soundtrack, although here's the thing. If you bought the soundtrack in 1996, you'd probably be really pissed because in this movie, there are four Rolling Stones songs, a Santana song and a Nine Inch Nails song. And none of those made the official soundtrack. So you just get like the um, you get songs by a band called Foreskin 500 and you get this elusive Johnny J and big psych track called Forever Ballin'. That one's actually kind of a rare track because hip hop fans will remember Johnny J being one of Tupac's main producers on All Eyes on Me. And uh, he really didn't have men many like solo songs that were out there. Anyway, the fan strong thriller with great performances and the third act ups the ante bringing kids into the danger um, with Bobby Rayburn's son. So I really do think the fan is a great baseball thriller. It's the only real like darker one on my list and uh, highly recommended. If, if you even if you're not a baseball fan, watch it for De Niro's performance as this dude Gill, who's just like this incredible psychotic. Yeah, like you mentioned, he becomes progressively more unhinged as the movie plays along. At first, he's just a guy who's calling a radio station. Then I think he saves one of Bobby Rayburn's kids from drowning. And then he kind of feels like Bobby owes him something. Yeah, he does. And he's mad because he asks him, you know, how he got out of a slump before. And, and Rayburn's response is, I just stopped caring. And this really triggers Gil. <laughs> like, because Gil feels like he cares more about the game than Rayburn does. It's, it's amazing. So that's my number four. Yeah, for me, at my number four, I went with a kid's movie here. And it's something that I still, to this day, I love to rewatch. And if you've listened to my top 25 show, rewatchability is such a huge factor for me. You have to be able to watch it over and over and over again. Movies like Schindler's List, I know are fantastic, right? But you're not going to call your buddies over and order a pizza and watch Schindler's List. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's not really a rewatchable movie. You watch it once, you say, hey, great, I saw it, it was excellent. And that's it, you never watch it again. So this on my list is a kid's movie that I could watch over and over again. I've been watching it over and over again since I was a kid, and it's called Little Big League. Jenny, Billy, if you're watching this tape, I guess I'm dead. I'm sorry. Billy, you're my best friend in the world, and I, I want you to have my very favorite thing, the Minnesota Twins. Man, when my grandpa died, all I got was a sweat. 
First of all, I'd just like to say this is really cool. You mean you own the team and the stadium? Can I borrow five bucks? I would like to announce that I've named myself the new manager of the Minnesota Twins. Go away. Billy, it's not that easy. There's a lot to this game. A lot. You know how hard it is to manage? It's the American League. They got the DH. How hard can it be? I gotta go over all this paperwork. Wow, you sound like my dad. Could I, like, have your autograph? Wow, Charlotte Hogwarts. What a babe. Mom, come on. The guys are watching. Nobody's watching. It stars Luke Edwards as a kid who's in middle school and his grandfather, played by Jason Robards, who you might know from Philadelphia, he was the um, Charles Wheeler who fires uh, Tom Hanks. And he's just such a sweet old man in this film. And he passes away and he leaves the Minnesota Twins to his grandson. And his grandson knows a ton about baseball. So in running the team, he decides, you know what? I'm going to manage the team as well, even though he's a little kid. And so obviously you can imagine the hijinks of this little kid managing adult players. And we've got a really good cast in here. I don't know a lot of the supporting actors' names, but I know obviously we have uh, Taggart from Beverly Hills Cop is in it. He plays the pitching coach. We've got um, uh, Wolfgang, what is his name? Wolfgang Bodison, who was in A Few Good Men. He was the, the big Marine. Uh, he's in it. He plays the second baseman, Hamilton. And my favorite of all of them is actually Dwayne Davis is in this and he plays Billy, the, the kid's favorite player and Dwayne Davis. You guys might know if you are sports movie fans from the program, he plays Alvin Mack. He was in necessary roughness. He was Featherstone. He is in, uh, Digstown. It's a boxing movie. He's the one that they hang his brother. Spoiler alert. So he does a lot of sports movies and his son is Wyatt Davis from Ohio state, formerly of the Vikings. And so football runs in their blood, but he plays a baseball player in this movie. And it's just a really, really cute kids movie. Imagining again, when I was 13 years old, and I think I first saw this thinking, wow, how would I run the team if I was the owner? I have not seen this movie for a long time. And in my mind, I often get it mixed up with rookie of the year. I got to go back and rewatch this. I think when my kid starts getting more into baseball, we're going to we're going to give this one a spin. Yeah, it's definitely a fun family movie. All right, number three for me, we're going uh, to the three spot here. I've got 2008's Sugar. We got 75 pitchers for less than 50 positions come April. You do the math. Welcome to America, son. Todo pelotero, aquí son buenos. Thank you for blessing us with our new guest. Those cervezas in the casa. No chicas in the bedroom. I already told him that one. Okay. It's our job to keep you focused on baseball. You started dropping your arm in the third. I think that was the problem. I think this film is is incredibly underseen. It follows the story of a character named Miguel Santos, and he goes by the nickname Sugar, which is where the title comes from. He's a Dominican pitcher from San Pedro de Macraw, struggling to make it in the big leagues and pull himself and his family out of poverty. Now, he starts, um, he's, he's obviously amazing, and he starts playing professionally at this baseball academy in the Dominican Republic, which is kind of like a farm team for the minor league system in America. And at 19, he is finally given his chance to get to the minor league system. Now he comes out to America and it's, it's a whole new world. 
it's it's a baseball story on one hand, but it's also an immigrant story on the other, and it's it's really focused on his adaptability because he's thrown into a place where he doesn't know the language, the customs. Actually, in the minor leagues, they give the Dominican players a um, a lesson in American or English language baseball terms. So they're giving classes on like pop fly, home run, how to say these things in English. And um, Miguel is played by Alginas Perez Soto, who is amazing in this film as we see him go from this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed rookie who thinks he's going to conquer the world to a kid that, much like you realized at the Combine for the Braves, the players out here are as good or better than he is, and he might not have it all figured out. He is definitely that guy who was in a small pond and was king of the hill, and then he comes out to the uh, to the minor league system here, and he's just one of hundreds of amazing baseball players. This is directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who were later tapped on the shoulder by Marvel to make Captain Marvel, um, which they also cast Algenis Perez Soto in in a role. Cannot recommend Sugar enough from 2008. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like my underseen gem on this list at number three. As you were describing it, I was kind of picturing the Adam Sandler basketball movie Hustle. Is it similar to that? I have not seen Hustle yet. I am very adverse to Adam Sandler movies in general. Oh, okay. It's a serious movie. Obviously, it's not a comedy. It's he is kind of goes to another country, finds a basketball player tries to bring him to the NBA. He loses his job with the 76ers, and now he's kind of shopping this kid as like a free agent through the draft. Yeah, I guess it could be seen as that, but it, it's more focused on the player of Sugar versus like the coaches that help him out, although they are there for support. It's really focused on like this dude and can he hack it in America? Can he hack it in the made, in the uh, minor league system? Oh, and I, I should add too, if, you, if you're going to seek out Sugar, watch the Blu-ray not the DVD. For some reason, the DVD that was released is only, it's a, it's a cut version of the film and it's PG 13 on DVD. But if you get the Blu-ray, it's uncut, which is the rated R version. And it adds like six minutes back in. So if you're going to seek it out, I don't know what versions are streaming, but if you're going to watch it on Blu-ray, you'll be safe. Sounds good. Sugar. I'll have to put that on my list, especially as a sports movie. Got to check it out. My number three is a 1988 movie called Eight Men Out. Edward Seacott. Joseph Jefferson Jackson, Arnold Gandil, Charles Risberg, Oscar Felch, Claude Williams, and George Weaver are hereby accused of conspiracy to commit a confidence game. We got to see the socks. Baseball, 1919. There were no free agents, no million-dollar salaries, but there was a team no one could beat. The true story of the team they called the Black Sox and the scandal that broke the heart of a nation. Any bet against my Sox this series is a sucker bet. You can find seven men on the best club willing to throw the World Series. Basically, if you've seen the movie Field of Dreams, you know that Joe Jackson was kicked out of baseball for gambling on the World Series. And what Eight Men Out does is it chronicles the whole events leading up to and through and following that whole debacle. Basically, you've got the Chicago White Sox, best team in the league, and they've got a very cheap owner who withholds their bonuses and doesn't pay them enough. And 
for celebration. They have flat champagne and very, very much a cheapskate. And so the gamblers see an opportunity to come in and say, well, the, the White Sox are so heavily favored in the World Series. We'll give each of them, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to throw a game or two. And that way we can make some money and they can still win the World Series, but we, we make some money off of them and they make some money off of us. And what it ends up turning into is, no, you have to throw the entire series. And I mean, people's lives are threatened, you know, so they have to go through with it. But this team was chock full of would-be Hall of Famers, including Joe Jackson. And what happens is they throw the World Series. It comes to light that they threw the World Series. They're found innocent in a court of law. But then the first commissioner in baseball history, Mountain Landis, bans them for life. And you've got a cast of John Cusack, Charlie Sheen, uh, David Straitharn is in it, Christopher Lloyd, John uh, Mahoney. You've got Michael Rooker is in it. And D.B. Sweeney is great as Shoeless Joe Jackson. This is one that I haven't seen for a long time, but that cast is amazing. I think I saw this when I was little on VHS. That's the last time I've seen it. Obviously, I've seen Field of Dreams many times and know about the Shoeless Joe Jackson story. And this is one that's really highly regarded on on baseball lists. I got to check this out again. Yeah, absolutely. If you guys are familiar with the term the Black Sox, this is them. The 1919 Chicago White Sox were referred to as the Black Sox as the eight members of their team were thrown out of baseball for the rest of their lives after the scandal. Yeah, and this one actually came out, what, a year before Field of Dreams. So Shoeless Joe Jackson was having a good time there in the late 80s for some reason. I would love a Shoeless Joe biopic. Yeah, same here. Uh, Well, we know, I mean, from... Wesley Snipes, Charlie Sheen's been in a couple baseball movies. There are some of these folks that just like keep appearing in baseball movies. Kevin Costner is obviously a big one. Um, but my number two has somebody that was in your number three there. D.B. Sweeney has a small role in my next film here at number two, 2001's Hardball. <laughs> They're the worst team in the league. Nice Andre. <laughs> in the worst neighborhood in the city. Wow. But they're about to get some help from the last person they ever expected. That boy, guy's our coach. You work for Smith and Stevens Securities. Yes. What deal did you blow? What? Well, I'm sure you're not coaching this team by choice. What's going on? All right, let me break it down to you right quick. Andre say he catch any apple ball. Coffee say I'll give you all my gum if you catch this ball. Okay, I got it. Thanks. This brings the troubled tween baseball team to the 21st century and swaps out our old, weathered, drunk Walter Matthau character with a young, hotshot gambler up to his neck in debt, played by Keanu Reeves. Now, in Bad News Bears, Matthau had to take over his terrible team by court order, In Hardball, Reeves plays this character named Connor, who has to coach a low-income African-American team of kids because the guy who's supposed to be coaching them needs to go away for business. And in return for coaching the team, Connor's going to get a $500 check each week to pay down his gambling debt. Of course, coaching the team is going to be a challenge because the teammates don't get along. It's, it's, you know, the the popular tropey story. Uh, They can barely field a full team because some of the kids aren't performing at school and can't play. And the movie works because the the back and forth between these kids. We also get a glimpse into the hardships of their lives. Like we see these kids leaving practice and they're walking through shady neighborhoods. They're getting robbed. Some of the kids, as they're walking home, they play this game called Name That Gunshot. Like they hear a gunshot ring out in the distance. 
and they're both trying to guess the gun that it came out of. It's a true ensemble cast. Great performances from Diane Lane as a teacher. Um, D.B. Sweeney is great as one of like the, the league officials. And the kids are all great. Although I didn't see many that went on to huge things except for one standout. A tiny little Michael B. Jordan is in there as Jamal. Uh, totally recognizable. Looks just, it's, it's hilarious. You're just like, oh shit, Michael B. Jordan's in here. Um, Dwayne Warren is another kind of unknown actor who is fantastic as the smallest kid on this team named G Baby, who's not allowed to play at first. Now, near the end of this film, I'm going to, I'm going to warn you in hardball, there is a real gut punch moment that, you know, it's, it's going to make you tear up, but it brings all the kids together for one last game. Um, it's, it's just, a really fantastic movie. This was a break for Keanu Reeves from the physicality of the Matrix films. And I always thought he was really great in this role as this slime ball turned authentic coach. And like I said, it's a formula you've seen before. The whole, um, I thought I was going to teach them, but they taught me kind of trope. Uh, but it's still a really solid baseball film and would make an amazing double feature with the Bad News Bears. So yeah, that's my number four, Hardball from 2001. A couple of issues that I had with Hardball, one, obviously, is it's a very dark film, so there's not a lot of mm -hmm. light to it, you know, so that makes the rewatchability very tough. I also think that Keanu Reeves doesn't really learn a lesson in this film. Like, he's dug his way into a gambling debt, which he gets out of by betting on a basketball game. So does he really <laughs> learn a lesson? <laughs> That's a good point. So, yeah, there is a point where he has to pay off his gambling debts, and he gambles to do it. Uh, I think the lesson, though, is learned when he chooses not to try and ride that bet to the next one, and he's done gambling after that moment. It is it is kind of an odd way to resolve that storyline by having him gamble, but I think that he does eventually learn his lesson. Well, my number two is going to be, again, one of those movies that people haven't really seen. They may not be familiar with it. And it is based on a true story, and it's called Soul of the Game. What are you doing? I'm playing my position, Mr. Page. Boy, you don't even know your position. Let me help you out. Your position on this team is right over there. You're not pitching. You're putting on a bullshit oh, wait, wait show. Wait a sec. Hold up there, Junior. It's my game. It's my game and my show. And you best learn how you're supposed to act in my show. I signed on this organization to play baseball. This is not baseball. You got clowns out there doing some kind of song and dance. How hey, do you expect me to hey, Don't you tell me what's baseball. Well, don't expect me to play that my position. That clown out there is paying your wages. You think all these people came out here today to watch Jackie Robinson? What it is is it's about the Negro Leagues pre-1920, before integration. And we've got Jackie Robinson played on the Kansas City Monarchs along with Satchel Paige, who many consider the greatest pitcher of all time in any league. And then you have Josh Gibson played for the Washington Grays. And again, Josh Gibson allegedly hit over 900 or 1,000 home runs in his career. He hit, I think, 80 home runs in one season. So this is a guy who's considered the greatest power hitter of all time. But it really chronicles the three of them and the journey of baseball to become integrated. And right down to Branch Rickey, who Branch Rickey felt like the league should be integrated. And when... They passed the memo that the baseball was going to make it mandatory for every team to have at least one African-American player on their roster. He went out and signed Jackie Robinson before it went into effect. He said, I don't want people to think I'm doing this because I've been ordered to. Like I've been wanting to do this all along. 
And he basically goes out. Jackie Robinson is played by Blair Underwood. Uh, Delroy Lindo plays Satchel Paige. He's amazing in Satchel Paige's role. And then McKelty Williamson, who you guys might know as Bubba in uh, Forrest Gump, he plays Josh Gibson. And Josh struggles with mental illness. He's in and out of mental hospitals. And there's definitely some bitterness between Satchel Paige, Josh Gibson, and Jackie Robinson towards the end because both of those guys were better players than Jackie Robinson. But he was a military guy, and they just felt like he would be able to handle the pressure better than the other two. And so there's kind of some animosity about why didn't they pick us? But it's a really, really great movie. Obviously, you're going to see racism in it. It's it's very prevalent in this film, right down to not being able to use certain bathrooms and things like that. But a really, really great movie about when the leagues were segregated. This is one that I haven't seen and I need to watch because, I mean, just your cast list alone makes me want to see it. I got to check it out. Do you know if it's available on streaming, Blu-ray, anything like that? I'm not sure. I'm sure you could find it somewhere. I know I, last time I watched it was on VHS, so it was oh, a long nice. time ago. It, it, it came out, I think, in the early 90s. Obviously, Blair Underwood, this was kind of his heyday. But it's yep. it, it's a really, really good movie, so I'd highly recommend it, especially if you like the movie 42 with Chadwick Boseman. I actually sure. think this is a better movie than 42. It doesn't get the acclaim because it's a little bit smaller name, smaller budget, smaller production. But I think the movie itself is far more entertaining than 42 was. All right. I'll give that a shot. That's Soul of the Game from, you said, 96? I think 92. Somewhere in that range, 92, 93. Okay. 92. Okay, cool. I will give that a shot. All right, Wayne. We are at our number ones here. Number ones. So my number one was always going to be my number one on this list. When you said, we're doing baseball movies, this was the one. Out of all the Kevin Costner baseball movies, this is the strongest, even if it's not the most famous. And I believe it's one of the best pure baseball movies of all time, bringing that childlike fun back into the game that some movies just don't get. And that is Bull Durham from 1988. Annie Savoy knows talent. When she sees it. You're a powerful young thing, Abby Calvin. But there's just no substitute for experience. I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. Oh my. Kevin Costner. <laughs> Susan Sarandon. <laughs> Bull Durham. Rated R. Starts Wednesday at a theater near you. Check newspapers for local listings. So this focuses on a season for the single A team, the Durham Bulls. And obviously stars Kevin Costner as Crash Davis, a veteran catcher who's brought in from the AAA Richmond Braves to teach a rookie pitcher named Ebby Calvin Lelouch, played by Tim Robbins. This loose cannon who um, he just he, he doesn't know how to take direction. And it's Crash's job to teach him to prep him for the major leagues. Also in here, we've got the baseball groupie Annie Savoy, played by Susan Sarandon, who's romancing Nuke but finds herself increasingly attracted to Crash. This is written and directed by Ron Shelton, who I don't know that anybody makes sports movies quite like Ron Shelton does. He would strike gold just a couple of years later with uh, White Men Can't Jump. He's done Tin Cup. He did Blue Chips. Like The guy is just a sports movie machine. This is still my favorite of his. It's also my favorite Kevin Costner performance. As this, he's he's played in the league for like twelve years in this minor league system, and he's just so fun to watch as this guy who just seems like he is so he's always like 
a hair trigger away from exploding. I really love that about him, but he's still trying to have fun. And it's also probably my favorite Susan Sarandon role as this minor league groupie, which <laughs> like, I don't even know if these exist in real life, but she's a minor league groupie who chooses a player or two every year to shack up with. Those two have a really great dynamic. I think it works a lot. They have this common link of getting Nuke Lelouch better ready for the big leagues as she like juggles her romance with Nuke and her uh, budding romance with Costner's Crash. I also really like the dynamic between Lelouch and Crash, starting with their first work as a battery. Um, it's funny. So Lelouch is this like really hot shot kid that's standing on the mound, shaking off signs as Crash is calling for the curve. And uh, Crash is getting pissed because he, he, he knows these players in the minors. And, and he walks back after a meeting at the mound and he tells the hitter, fastball's coming. Hitter knocks it out of the park, of course. And uh, that's like how they start this relationship. And as they go further into this relationship and Lelouch starts listening to his catcher, they start using these interesting tactics like uh, Crash at one point tells him, I want you to throw the ball at the mascot. <laughs> and uh, Nuke's like, what? He's just do it. So he throws the ball, hits the mascot. They both share this like maniacal laugh. And then Crash tells the hitter, I don't know where the ball is going to go next. This guy's crazy. And all of a sudden, the guy can't concentrate on hitting because he thinks he might get hit in the head. It's also got one of the more memorable movie speeches by Crash about what he believes in. What do you believe in, then? Well, I believe in the soul. The cock, the pussy, the small of a woman's back, the hanging curveball, high fiber, good scotch, that the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. Good night. Good night. If you have not seen Bull Durham and you like sports movies, baseball movies, what are you doing? Go watch this movie. The Criterion Collection put this out on Blu-ray last year or 2020. Within the last couple of years, they put it out on the Criterion Collection. Doesn't get much better than that. Go check this out. If it's good enough for me, if it's good enough for the Criterion Collection, it should be good enough for you. That's my number one, Bull Durham from 1988. I think the unsung hero of this film is Robert Wool as the assistant manager, who's hilarious. Oh, he's so good. And he was a former player. Now he's a, the assistant manager. And I love, you mentioned the speech. I love the speech uh, in the locker room where he's like, you lollygag to the dugout. <laughs> and the, that whole speech is hilarious. And the movie's great. And, and I love that you picked it number one, because if we were doing the best baseball movies of all time, in my opinion, Bull Durham is the best baseball movie ever made. And some people will debate that, but here's my thing. So I actually had the privilege of getting to have a conversation with uh, Ron Shelton. Oh, cool. And because I actually knew an actor who was in a couple of his movies, and then we kind of met third party. And he mentioned that in Bull Durham, it was really important for him that every single actor that he cast could play baseball. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you couldn't play baseball, you would not be allowed on the cast, no matter who you were, or what your name was. and that's why when you watch the film, the baseball scenes are so authentic because they're actually playing the game of baseball. That makes sense. They all, yeah, they do seem authentic. And I know Kevin Costner was a great baseball player. Like you can see in his mechanics in all three of the movies that he did starring him as a baseball player. He's, he's great. He can play. 
He is, and I actually thought you were going to surprise me with For Love of the Game, because, again, that's a very, very good baseball movie with Kevin Costner. Yeah, that's actually my second favorite of the Costner trilogy, which might surprise some people. So number one for you, Wayne G. from Recasted on your top five home run baseball movies. So my number one is a little bit more well-known, established actor here in this film, and it's a movie called Mr. Baseball. We just bought one of your best baseball players. There's no way I'm going to play in Japan. He's very big. What do you think of our country? I hate this place. Very smart. I need somebody to tell me how to go to the can. And very funny. Do the hokey pokey. I turn yourself around. And if you take him back soon, you make us very happy. Why? I look good. Mr. Baseball. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday at theaters everywhere. And it came out, I want to say, 1994-ish. And I was introduced to this movie. Because back in the day, Upper Deck made baseball cards, and they made SP cards, which were special inserts. And an SP1 was Michael Jordan taking batting practice with the Chicago White Sox. Very popular baseball card from the 1991 Upper Deck set. The 1993 set had SP number two, which was a card that featured Frank Thomas and Tom Selleck on the front. And that's how I was introduced to Mr. Baseball, because in Mr. Baseball... Tom Selleck is the main character of the film, Jack Elliott. He's a New York Yankee. He loses his spot to Ricky Davis, played by Frank Thomas. And he's such a pain in the butt that nobody wants to pick up his contract. So he gets shipped over to Japan to play for the Chunichi Dragons. And of course, he butts heads over there immediately with the manager. He's a lazy American, if you want to call him that. And so he doesn't really fall in line with the very ultra rigid Japanese kind of culture. And he kind of has to learn to shed all of his disgusting habits to become a good baseball player. In fact, the manager tells him at one point, he's like, I could have picked a different player, but I picked you because I see that you still have a big season in you. You're just sloppy. And if you listen to me, I can make you great again. And he takes his advice. He learns how to become a great hitter again. And it also features um, Dennis Haysbert, who plays Pedro Serrano in Major League. He is in this film. He plays a guy named Hammer, the other American on the team. And the two of them are teammates. And it's just a really, really fun comedy. In fact, it has one of my favorite sports movie lines of all time, which is there's a game that they're playing and it's 4-4 and it's the 15th inning or something like that. And they go to run out of the dugout or uh, Tom Selleck does and Hammer tells him he says hey man the game's over no game can continue after 15 innings and Tom Selleck says it's 4-4 game can't end in a goddamn tie <laughs> and uh, it makes me laugh every time he says it Mr. Baseball man I remember liking this when I was little but I probably haven't seen it since we rented it from a blockbuster in 94-95 so maybe this one's worth putting on my rewatch pile as well Tom Selleck I've always liked him now, I know you've got to have some honorable mentions. Major League obviously didn't make your list. Uh, what are some of those honorable mentions that you almost put on your list but just didn't have room for? So, again, if we were picking the greatest baseball movies of all time, I would have had A League of Their Own on there. I think that's one of the greatest baseball movies ever. Great performance, Tom Hanks, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, Gina Davis. I also had The Natural, Robert Redford. Like, how could you not love The Natural? Mm -hmm. And... Then, of course, The Sandlot, right? The Sandlot's an incredible. Uh, Sandlot didn't make my list only because it had 
already made one of my top five lists when we did top five sports movies of all time. I think pure favorite baseball movies is probably my favorite one. Uh, there's a TV movie that I think is pretty underrated starring LeVar Burton called One in a Million, the Ron LaFleur story, which is about Ron LaFleur's time in prison before he got to be a Detroit Tiger. I think that's worth checking out. You can find that in really bad quality on YouTube if you're interested. And uh, one that we did not mention is Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams is that movie whenever somebody says, what's a movie that can make a grown man cry? And it is Field of Dreams. And I've seen it probably 30 times. And I still get a lump in my throat at the very end. Yeah, the catch. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I rewatched Field of Dreams leading up to this show. And I actually found that I like it a lot less now. And I think it's because I don't think that the script is tight. In that a lot of stuff just kind of happens. Like a lot of stuff is just kind of figured out. Um, and I... I actually think that Field of Dreams might work as a miniseries versus a movie just because there's so much that has to happen so quick in that film. So that's why I said I like it the least out of the Kevin Costner holy baseball trinity, uh, but still a, a really feel-good movie. And I agree that the catch at the end is is really moving. Speaking of moving, we have moved into our final segment here, which are the plugs. Wayne G, all of the links we're going to talk about here are in the show notes, so go check those out. Where can people find Recasted? If you want to listen to Recasted, we are available on every streaming platform. So whatever one you use, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Good Pods, whatever it is, Check us out there. You can find us. Make sure you give us a rating, subscribe. But also, if you want to interact with us, most interactive on Twitter, at Recasted Podcast. We also have a Facebook, at Recasted Podcast, and a public Facebook group called All Things Movies. Anyone's allowed to join. Share your favorite pop culture news. Share podcasts. If you do a podcast, we're very interactive, and we love to get people's ideas, and I love to do crossover shows with people as well. Awesome. So uh, we'll have links to those in the show notes. As this show comes to a close, jump over to Recasted. Uh, any episodes in particular that you're really proud of or think people should check out? Yeah, so I think the last really decent episode we did was Beverly Hills Cop. We recast that. So if, that, if you're a fan of that film, Jesse and I have been trying to figure out a way to clean up our audio. And that one we recorded in person, which is why it's really clean. Our newest movie is Philadelphia. We actually get really chippy in this one. And uh, Jesse's audio is a little bit muffled, but if you could get through that, it's actually a really good episode. But for the cleanest audio, Beverly Hills Cops, probably the last really clean audio we did. All right, cool. And if you're interested in uh, what it would look like if we recast Reservoir Dogs, that's another one that I would recommend um, because that one really got me thinking along with uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Wayne G, thanks so much for the awesome list topic. And uh, I really enjoyed having you on. Yeah, it was a good time, and uh, we'll have to have you come on to recast uh, a movie at some point. All right, let's recap the list real quick. Wayne G's list had Moneyball at number five, Little Big League at number four, Eight Men Out at number three, Soul of the Game, which I need to see, at number two, and the Tom Selleck classic Mr. Baseball at number one. Running down my list, I had the Bad News Bears, the original, not the remake, at number five. At number four, De Niro and Snipes in the Fan. At number three, Sugar. Number two, Hardball. And number one, part of the Kevin Costner Holy Baseball Trinity, Bull Durham. 
Remember to review Force 5 wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about the show. Those two free, simple things can really help the show audience grow. Really helps me out. And of course, if you want more Force 5, support me with your dollar bills over at patreon.com backslash Force 5. You can find Force 5 on social media at Force 5 Pod on Twitter, at Force 5 Pod on Instagram, and you can always talk movies with me over on the Cinematics Facebook group. Executive producer of this episode of the Force 5 podcast was Rupert Bumblestein. Theme song comes courtesy of Nate Spears, and the top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some home run baseball movies. Force five. Hey, do you love 90s movies? Well, we've got just the right podcast for you. Hey, I'm Jordan. And this is Nick. And we host Film Shake, the 90s movies podcast. We cover everything 90s, from the terrible to the awesome. Giant snakes, worlds underwater, and John claude Van Damme with a mullet? Check. Underrated or forgotten movie gems? We got you covered there, too. Go to filmshakepodcast.com to check out all our episodes. And long live the 90s.